Welcome to Feast Till Dawn. I'm your host, Gordo Ramsey, joined by the budget, Jamie Oliver. <laughs> oh, I didn't expect that one. Is that I a new thing that. we're doing? That's a new thing that I'm going to do every time. I'm going to take famous like food it. people and I'm just going to make us the, names? the budget version of that. I like it. All right, Sam, so what do we got on the docket today? Well, I'll tell you what. First up, I, I want to ask how you are doing. How are you feeling? How was your day? How are you adjusting your daylight savings time? What did you cook today? All great questions. You just reminded me. I first want to apologize for totally butchering the Feast of the Seven Fishes last time. I said it was on New Year's. I didn't mean to say New Year's. I'm sorry. Nick Makuga, I'm sorry. I slandered your Italian heritage. It's a Christmas Eve, obviously. But no, my day's been good. End of the weekend. What, what did I make this weekend? Well, we made a pretty awesome dinner. You came out to visit, but we'll talk about that later. I made a pretty unreal tuna melt yesterday. That was delicious. Tonight, I made a rose con pollo. I'll shout out Martha Stewart recipe that I kind of tweaked a little bit. But that came out really awesome. And then my roommate, actually, he came home and he wanted to make fried chicken sandwiches because I guess it's fried chicken sandwich day. So he fired up his own proprietary seasoning and uh, dredge mix that he likes to use. He made some chicken sandwiches. He's from the Midwest, so they pride themselves on the tendy sandwiches and really oversized fried sandwiches. It was good. There is a lot to unpack there. I want to start with, first of all, the <laughs> Feast of the Seven Fishes. What heritage is that? Is it Catholic? Uh, so it's like Italian-Catholic kind of thing? Yeah. Well, see, now I'm on edge because I've already messed this up once. First episode, wrong, incorrect which I was told by many different people. So now you're going to grill me on more of this history. I'm just set up for failure now. I'm going to totally butcher this. But as far as I know, my mom's side, Catholic Italian, and we didn't always celebrate it, but probably like half of the Christmases I've celebrated with my extended family on my mom's side. We've done a seven fishes meal on Christmas Eve. Interesting. I feel like I'm one of the forbidden Catholics. Everybody's Irish Catholic, they're Italian Catholic, whatever. I'm just like Polish. We would have fish on Christmas Eve, but we'd always have pierogies. Oh my God, I love pierogies. I could do a whole episode on pierogies, but tomato soup and then some kind of simple fish. Hmm. I actually like the sound of that a lot. But then I heard about this Feast of the Seven Fishes thing. I feel like I have to bring it back and fire it up. It's awesome. It's so much fun. It tests you because you really have to diversify your dishes to get seven. And we wouldn't do just totally just fish, clams and scallops and stuff like that. But it really makes you think about the dishes you actually want to make because it's a lot of seafood. Would you ever do fish sticks? No, I don't think we ever did. What's the famous fish stick brand? I don't, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with this. Besides Long John Silver's, which I read a whole Reddit thread about Long John Silver's, how it was just a huge money laundering operation when weed was illegal, <laughs> starting in West Virginia and then worked its way down. Very entertaining Reddit thread. We'll put links in the show notes. Another related fast food drug uh, story. I don't know how true this is, but before I moved up here, someone had told me that the subway in Keystone got shut down for selling meth you had to order the the meth ball sandwich you slur the pronunciation a little bit hey this is what you're getting you're getting meth today yeah then you get a couple bags in your sandwich and your foot long i always wondered if they went as far as the six inch was like a certain amount of meth versus the 12 but i actually i still have no idea if that story is true well dang i mean luckily guys and i'll go on the record here and say that our friend connor is not a meatball sub guy 
Connor, tell the people your order at Subway. I get a foot-long tuna, toasted Italian herbs and cheese with pepper jack, and then I get lettuce, tomato, cucumber, olives, pickles, onion, salt and pepper, oil, vinegar, and a little bit of sweet onion sauce. And do you Sometimes cut in half. Sometimes (laughs) cut in half, but other times not. Connor texts me one day, and you're just like... You're like, I tell him not to cut it, so I have to wrangle it while I'm riding up the chairlift. Yeah, it's when you want the whole deal. You just want the whole shebang. Yeah. I know I, I like the meatball though. That was my order as a kid, for sure. Mm, chicken bacon ranch for me. We would always go as kids. Did you go to Subway a lot growing up? Dude, all the time. That was a go to after any sort of practice. Oh, okay, yeah. There was one in the mall in Danbury, Connecticut, and my mom figured that was like the healthiest version of whatever options there were. And I think that Jared was still in full effect, tricking the people. You know that the pants are now in the MoMA in New York? No, they're not. Yeah, they are. Are they? Dude, I saw them. They're right next to the medieval armor. You you went? Yeah, and they're, saw right them. There. They're, they're right there. The big pants are right next to the medieval armor. What else is in that room? Dude, the pants aren't, the pants aren't in there. <laughs> oh my god. You really had me. Did I actually? Idiot! So, going back to unpacking this entire oh, diet. We're just going to we're just gonna move on. We're just going to move on from that. Just That was bad. We're, we're just going to move on to that. Martha Stewart. Absolute legend. I would put Martha Stewart. I would put her at number two, though. Under my favorite cookbook chefs. Number one, Julia Childs, forever. I went on this huge Julia Childs kick. One of her first jobs was in the Navy, and she had to develop something to keep the sharks away. And that was her first soiree into. Uh, I don't believe recipes. anything you say anymore. Well, this is less believable than the pants. I swear to God, this is a true story. Look up Julia Child Wikipedia page. It's on there. There's a whole section devoted to how she created the shark concoction to keep the sharks away from the bombs that they would put in the water. Because they were blowing up all these sharks. And she's like, I can chef that. I can fix that. Huh, I know nothing about her, which is a shame. She's, she's a legend, So you, man. So you she, could be lying to me again, and I wouldn't know. She brought French cuisine to common american households you know you're in there you're in the suburbs white picket fence leave it to beaver and then some lady comes along and she's like hey you ever have steak au poivre yeah a lot of casseroles and suspicious ingredients before her huh a lot (laughs) lot of cream of mushroom oh dude i still love cream of mushroom i actually went to walmart (laughs) for the first time in probably three years because i'm stocking up for thanksgiving and brag Sprouts and Whole Foods and these other grocery stores, they never have any of the staples. You can't get Campbell's cream and mushroom soup. You can't get the Fritos little crispy onions that you use to bake those casseroles with. Mm, yeah, the green bean casserole. Walmart, though, they had everything. I got three blocks of Velveeta. Three blocks. $7.99 per block. That's you do awesome. the math. Anyway, so I want to tell you something that I was ready to come in here hot with because I am freshly back. From one of my favorite grocery stores of all time, H Mart. So H Mart, the first time that I went there was actually in Flushing with my dad. I flew into New York and we're like, where do we go? Let's just go to this big grocery store that we had never been to before, H Mart. At this one, it's three stories. 
and it is just full of all of the best various you know you know korean japan china all of these cuisines that just if you don't have the ingredients for it in any other grocery store fell in love and i just found out they opened one in westminster maybe oh, two nice. years ago but i got you a gift there i got you black vinegar and i also got you two things of soup dumplings oh no way yeah that's awesome because I know you've been searching for black vinegar and couldn't find it. And I was like, I know somebody who needs. I looked for white soy sauce, nowhere to be found. I'm convinced that white soy sauce is not an ingredient. I, I don't even know that existed. For the backstory and what you talked about earlier is we met up on Sunday, cooked a big feast, and we made the fly's head, which could you describe that dish? I don't even know like exactly what's even in it still. I don't really know either. It's Sean's go-to dish. Sean and G. It's a pork dish. It goes over rice, but the main ingredient is a fermented black bean. And then I think it has soy sauce and fish sauce and uh, scallions, onions, some hot peppers in it. So good though. I almost stocked up on those fermented black beans because I know, and shout out G, he had brought those to Sean for Sean's birthday so we could all mm -hmm. make that. And yeah. man, Without those, though, isn't the same dish. The big thing about it is all of the chives in there. So I think it's chives, soy sauce, peppers, like oh, bird's eye right. chilies, and those beans. I saw those beans tonight as well, but I figured you guys were pretty well supplied. It seems like one thing of those lasts for like four years. Yeah, we don't make it too often. It's kind of like a special occasion thing. Well, it's just such a good dish to make because it's so easy. Like if you're doing a really big, really big kind of Asian style meal with a lot of different dishes going on. That's kind of just like everyone loves that dish and it's so easy to make. So it's just like a no brainer. It's going to happen. And I got to say, not to get you too hyped, maybe it can make you mad later. Those chicken wings you made were some of the best homemade chicken wings I think I've ever had. Yeah, thanks, man. I actually have only made those twice. And the first time, we like to say that it almost killed our friend JT. We had a huge dinner. It was 15 of us or so. I bit off way too much. Because you saw you have to double fry each wing. You're doing a primary fry, six, seven minutes or whatever. And then you take them out. You do them all in batches, obviously, at home. I think I bought like 100, 120 wings. So I was just hammering wings out over this fryer in our friend's house. It just took forever. But we're having dinner. Everyone's loving the wings, fighting over them. It's a gochujang-based barbecue wing, essentially. And our friend JT, he's not looking good. Not finishing his food. He's looking kind of pale. He's not really talking. And our other two friends, Torgi and Mikey, start just giving him shit. Because he's not finishing his wings. And they're like, yo, give us those wings. Like, you're not going to finish those? Are you guys all EMTs? Shouldn't you be, like, checking people's vital signs? Yeah, yeah, not that. I mean, no. You can't. <laughs> Not at dinner. If he no, dies, you he dies. You can't, you can't do that 100% of the time. Well, actually, that, it's funny you bring that up because that ends up being kind of the punchline of the story, which is hilarious. So he gets up and all the color left his face. He grabbed our friend by the shoulder and then just collapses. Like the body's at the floor. And record scratch. Like, what? And we're all just staring at him. Like, we had been drinking. Our friend that he had leaned on, she immediately jumped up. I'll leave her name out of this because she hates this story. She jumps up, starts trying to check his responsiveness. He's breathing and everything. He's fine. He just fainted. But I swear to this day that she yelled at us to grab a towel to wrap his head in. And we all just started dying laughing because we're like, why the hell? Like, you're an EMT. 
what the fuck are you going to do with a towel? So you said those wings almost killed JT. And I actually haven't made them since then. So Sunday night was the, first, the second time. And they were really good. They were as good as I remember them being. Is he, like, allergic to something? I think what happened was he was snowboarding all day, really dehydrated. I think someone said that it was probably was referred to as, I'm going to butcher this too, vasovagal syncope. He just fainted. He had a vase of bagels in the sink? Yeah, vase of bagels in the sink. He, had, he was fine. 30 minutes later, he was mowing down brownies and ice cream, so he, he was good. And that was, like, six years ago. The double fry, I think, was so key for wings. I've never seen anybody do that at home when we're talking wings. I have done that with French fries before. It would make sense that wings would be the same way. Yeah, do you know why that's the case? I've been thinking about it actually the last few days, and I have like a, my own guess as to why. I don't know. It's something with a, some chemical reaction. I take so much of food for like, it's magic, and it just works. I'll give you my uneducated take on it then. So... Please. I think when you first put the wings in, they're frying. I put uh, cornstarch and flour as a little dredge on it. When you first put them in, you're doing two things, right? You're cooking the inside, and then you're crisping the outside. But there's so much moisture in that chicken wing that's kind of being driven out by the cooking process that it's just coming out where the crispiness is happening, essentially. So there's just so much moisture there anyway that it can't crisp up enough. So you take them out, let them rest for a second, and then when you flash fry them again, that moisture is absent now, and you get just a much crunchier crisp to it on the second fry. You've convinced me. I'm going to now share this with people without ever going back to actually look at the real science and just take this <laughs> doctrine. That's the only way to live your life. As we know, there's too many articles out there supporting everything, so we can't check anything now. Oh, I know. If you want what you think is right in your head to be reaffirmed, you can do it. You were the one who told me this, that your favorite thing to do when you buy something new is look for reviews that only affirm your opinion. And you totally mm -hmm. disregard the bad reviews after you've entered in your credit card number. Yeah, because obviously they're wrong. I want to feel better about the purchase that I'm making. I'm not going to change my opinion for the most part. The deep frying at home is something that is so wild. I feel like you almost have to make mistakes and that's the only way you're going to get better when it comes to deep frying at home. The first time I made French fries, I had, I think, four family members over and we were waiting until 11 o'clock to eat these french fries because it was taking so long. I did not factor in. You cut the fries and you freeze the fries and you fry them and then you fry them again and then you season them. And we, everybody was just waiting, so hungry, so miserable. Mm -hmm. But, you know, how do you make a diamond? Under pressure. <laughs> and the next time I made them, they were much better. And I feel like it almost always goes wrong in some way either your friend passes out or everybody's just waiting until 11 <laughs> o'clock so you could pick either one i'm not a fan of making french fries at home kind of a bit of a faff in my opinion it's one of those things where i bet it'd be really good if i put the time in i did all the stuff but it's one of those foods that i'm like i can get it when i go out and it's gonna be better i mean not gonna knock mcdonald's fries love mcdonald's fries but these fries are something special. The way it all comes together, it is like the crispiest exterior, this fluffy little pillow in the inside. Malcolm Gladwell, actually, on his podcast, Revisionist History, Malcolm Gladwell does this whole thing about French fries, 
and how they used to be so much better at McDonald's because they used to fry them with beef tallow and how they mm. it just didn't mimic the same texture ever since they switched to, I think, vegetable oil or canola oil. These French fries, fried in peanut oil two times, they are the best fry that I've ever had. And it's very seldom. I think it, this might only be the second or third time it's happened where I was like, I don't know of a restaurant that tastes better than what I just made. Where most things I make, I'm like, I know of a restaurant that I could get this and it'd be much better. Hmm. Did uh, Malcolm Gladwell make the fries in that episode? No, because he's too afraid to faint and die and burn his house down. <laughs> he's too busy reading uh, books. No, that's a good podcast. To get out so. there and live. It is actually a good po- podcast. I love Malcolm Gladwell. Shout out uh, John Ankeny for showing me that podcast. Are we just name dropping your friends and colleagues now? Yeah. I'm just going to shout out people I know that no one else knows. You've already doxed four people on this pod. That's true. I am doxing them. Well, let's get away from that. I actually really want to tell you about this uh, tuna melt that I made. Oh, yes. Please, go on. I'm a huge tuna fan, obviously, from my Subway order. And I added something that I haven't added before, which was I usually do mayo, mustard, some kind of pickled something, whether it's literally just diced up pickles or pepperoncinis diced up or even just relish. And then... I'll usually do a dash of hot sauce. This time I put in sambal. And that was Wait, they have really... sambal? No, I didn't get this at Subway. This oh, is the one I made the other day. This is the one you made the other day. I was like, why did, why did Subway add sambal <laughs> to their little food tray? Do you think they have Subways over in Asia? You think that's like a I... thing like McDonald's where they have like specialty items? Subway to me has always been Subway's not going C-tier. international. Yeah, it's like C-tier fast food. Americans yeah, like it. The rest of the world could take it or leave it. It's not It's not Mr. Worldwide. It's not Mr. Worldwide. Mr. Ronald McFucking Donald. <laughs> no, so this is the sandwich that I made, not the one that I get at Subway. But yeah, I switched the usual hot sauce for sambal. And uh, I only had Swiss cheese, but it was still really good. Actually, I think the mm. Swiss was even better than what I usually use. I think Swiss cheese would be better in some way. Yeah. Yeah, I just never have Swiss cheese, and I had it for some reason, and it was really good. But the sambal was the real, the real winner. Before you said that you put sambal and then grilled me for saying that you didn't get that at Subway, I was going to ask what your iteration cycle looks like on your Subway order. I pretty much haven't switched up the tuna order probably for like four to five years. And if I'm going to switch something up, it usually just means that I'm going to get a six-inch tuna and then a six-inch something else. I can't fully commit to leaving the tuna out of my experience, but maybe I don't want – maybe I just want to try something new. So I just get two sandwiches. This really makes me want to make a tuna melt. Honestly, I think tuna melts are one of the most underrated sandwiches. It's the tuna stigma. And What's the stigma? Up, it sucks. Well, the tuna mm. stigma, everyone shits on tuna. I remember my dad would make it for me for lunch sometimes, and I'd be, like, mortified just to get bullied at the lunch table or something. But uh, it's so good. It's like, ew, Connor, you smell like fish. Ew, tuna. They all have, like, ham and cheese sandwiches. I'm like, this is, like, what? This is way better. But, yeah, no, it's a thing. People kind of hate on tuna. I I have it for most days at work, honestly. I just bring a can, and I'll just have that for my 10 o'clock snack. (laughs) What do you do with the juice? Do you drink it? No, no, I'll drain it. Some of it. Mm, Yeah, I just get like the tuna packed in olive oil. Canned seafood, tinned seafood, I guess, is making a huge comeback. I feel like I'm seeing it everywhere 
right now. Yeah, well, I've been it's been popping up on my Instagram for the last year, like these different almost like boutique style cannery companies. There's this one that pops up a lot. Enough, enough where I actually looked at their website, like, yeah, like, sure, I'll check this out. This will be sweet. It is so not worth it. It's so expensive. What are we talking per can? And what kind of seafood are we talking in, in said can? I don't can? know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good with actual facts, but it's like, I want to say it's like, <laughs> like, eight, like eight bucks for a can or something. Granted, it's not just tuna. It's like salmon, um, different different fish <laughs> other than salmon. But they have, they have a bunch of different options. But they're all very expensive. And especially because you're eating all this tuna. A man can only take so much mercury. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend who was giving me crap for that the other day, actually. Eh. Whatever. (laughs) The late great Anthony Bourdain once said, your body isn't a temple. It's an amusement park. Go for the ride. Jim Gaffigan once said, my body's a temple, but it's one of those temples in thailand or monkey shit all over it the other thing instagram has been advertising to me lately is the soup dumplings that you can order and get shipped to your house Mm -hmm. and that's honestly what drove me to h mart tonight because the craziest selection of dumplings there and i've made dumplings before i always have dumpling wrappers in my freezer but today i really wanted to make dumplings i'm like ah i'm working this is going to take a long time wrapping these little dumplings it's a pain in the ass Mm -hmm. We go there, and I stocked the fuck up. Three different kinds of soup dumplings. I think it's called uh, shumai. They look like a little can of like spaghetti or something. But they're kind of like open, shrimp. open at the top, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The little volcano guys. And some of the money bags. I love those little money bags. Mm. Really, just equipped myself with everything that I need to serve you dim sum. And Ooh, then some. side note: Do you remember the money bags at uh? I forget the place, but uh, in in college at Boulder? At the C4C at the University of Colorado Boulder? (laughs) Yeah, do you remember them? (laughs) I never had those. Oh, I would get sick off of those things. I'd have too many. I don't ever remember seeing those there. Maybe that was in my, like, not of explorative food days. I feel like they had them all the time. But uh, I was going to ask you which kind of soup soup dumplings you got. Oh, like what brand? No, like literally just what's in them. Are they pork? Oh. Are they tr- like to get the truffle ones or like? We just got the straight up ones. The pork soup dumplings, very straightforward. I think pork and uh, scallion soup mm-hmm. dumplings. That's one of those crazy things though where I had these tonight and I'm like, this is better than nine out of ten times I've had soup dumplings at random restaurants that aren't, aren't dintai fun. Oh, okay, cool. That was a good disclaimer at the end won't say the name of this restaurant to not put them on blast, but this place you and I used to go to, I'm convinced they were serving us frozen soup dumplings that entire time. Yeah, I don't doubt that. I, I'm glad that that was actually my introduction to soup dumplings. So the sky was the limit past that. The first DTF I went to was, I want to say, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Yeah, definitely there. And then I've only been to that one and the one in Seattle. I've now been to the one in Seattle three times, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah, in that mall. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're usually in malls, <laughs> at least from my experience <laughs> of the two I went to. Yo, malls and strip malls, low-key, have some of the best food. If you can find the right joint. 
My friend Jamie took us to the best Korean barbecue place that I've ever been to. It wasn't even in Seattle. It was like outside of Seattle in this total like rundown strip mall. You like walk downstairs, you know, there's exposed ducting all over the place. It's so smoky in there. You can't see. But oh my God, was this the most amazing Korean barbecue I've ever had? The kimchi pancakes out of this world. I was housing them. No, that sounds so good. I've actually never had Korean barbecue. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. We gotta yeah. go. It's so good. Do you know of a spot in Denver? I gotta ask. I know that Aaron has somebody who knows of one really good spot where they go. I need to ask them the name because I've been to another place that was like, eh, it was, it was okay. Definitely mm-hmm. a once per year or once every other year thing for me. Just because I always eat a devastating amount of food. Where I'm just like, I do not want this again for a minute. Yeah. That reminds me of soup dumplings. Those things are dangerous. I have a hard time stopping eating those. It's bad. I'll be honest, if I'm going to Din Tai Fung, I'm getting probably at least 30 to myself. Like three, three orders. And for the people, Din Tai Fung, and I think... You know the history more than I do. Started in Taiwan, though, right? Because soup dumplings are a Taiwanese food. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's correct. And then they sort of expanded across until they hit Seattle and L.A. But I don't think there's any past, like Washington and California. No, I don't think they do. Maybe New York. If anyone's in a city with Din Tai Fung, you absolutely have to go. I love watching them work because... Trying to fold dumplings is such a pain in the ass. I think it's like my least favorite thing to do when you're talking about repetitive food things. Making ravioli, no sweat, right? Got it. Wrapping dumplings, my beefy little Polish sausages can't even like, I literally just end up like squeezing them and mashing them into a ball or grabbing them in my hand and then just pinching the top like a tourniquet mm-hmm. with my thumb <laughs> and my trigger finger and just squeezing them until I get some sort of closure. I'm the same way. I can't do it either. I feel like you'd have to commit. Today, I'm going to start to learn how to do this. And you're going to make way more dumplings than you need to. Just put in the hours and just try over and over and over and over. The DTF corporate is listening to this. Connor and I would like to intern. We'll work there for one week free. We're trying mm-hmm. to learn how to wrap dumplings. So hit our line, like and subscribe as well, and we'll, we'll come work for you for free for a week. Yeah, 100%. I'm glad you went along with that. That would be amazing. That would be a dream come true. I, I would be so nervous to go into that room. Oh, my gosh. So intimidating. I wouldn't even be able to fit my hair into one of those little caps that they all have to wear because they're all in white. They look like they're at a doctor's office wrapping these dumplings in there. It's amazing to watch them watch them work. It's like art. It's like watching Pablo Picasso. At least my it's Picasso. Like it's, yeah. It's like seeing Jared's pants in the MoMA. <laughs> seeing Jared's pants. <laughs> next, to the, next to the fucking armor. I'm so mad that happened. <laughs> this gyoza is my guernic. Well, Sam, you got you had a few things you wanted to talk about. What else do you got? Number one, you and I have a lot of roots in this together. We figured out how to make this thing really good at the same time. And that was from watching our dear friend 
and one of our favorite chefs, Matty Matheson. Watching his guaranteed to get you laid steak and potatoes video and figuring out the very first time how to make a steak. I remember like so vividly watching that with you and you oh, telling yeah. me this is how you do it. Like this is how you make a steak. But I would yeah. like to know since then, like how do you make a steak? What is yours? Because there's all of these other things we've probably both read over the years. So I really haven't messed around with how I prepare or cook steaks for a long time. The things I usually live by, heavy cast iron, a heavy pan that holds heat mm -hmm. really well to get a really good sear. I stick to some like solid aromatics, garlic, thyme. I always, I always try to baste it a little bit with butter after you, after you flip. And then depending on the size of the steak, we'll usually go to the oven. Anything bigger than like a medium-sized steak, I'll definitely go to the oven to finish it. I've tried a lot of methods over the years since, and my favorite way is still that Matty Matheson video. Salt the steak, leave it on the counter, wait till it is like just about getting warm, and then start. That's the huge thing is having the steak not cold. And then also get the moisture off of there. And I think that's the big advantage of salting it. Mm -hmm. is when you salt it or if you have it on a wire rack or something, you can have all of that liquid drip off. At the very end before I cook, I always wrap my steaks in uh, a paper towel before I, mm. before I hit them on the cast iron because that gets that little bit of moisture that can get left over off of them. And I've tried it. I even tried like smoking the steaks in the Traeger. Was not in love with that at all. It really dried it out. I like mm. sous viding a steak. I think that is really nice, especially if you're making steaks for a crowd. But my go-to, if it's just a steak for me and one or two people, let it get to room temp and then boom, put it on the cast iron, hit it with the aromatics, do a butter base, let it sit for 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes, and then you are done. Mm -hmm. Do you stress at all about how many times you're flipping it? I used to, but I think I've gotten a lot more patient now where I consciously say to myself, don't look at this steak, just walk away for a couple seconds. I used to stress that a lot. I used to like really want to wait until it was the correct time to flip it and only flip it once. I've gotten away from it though. I don't really care anymore. I'm just going to keep flipping it around until mm -hmm. it gets a good crust. I don't think it really matters. And I can't remember the chef's name, but they would flip it every, I think, minute or 30 seconds. They would just flip it very periodically but very precisely until it's just evenly browned on both sides. You flip, you flip the burger once, you flip the steak once thing. is like, I, I don't see much merit to it. Yeah, they have the expression, that's an old wives' tale. There's also this whole other subset of guy at the grill tales. Like yeah. things that are just flat out wrong that people still live by. You gotta heat up your car if it's cold out. I've heard on a Stuff You Should Know podcast anything after 2005 it does nothing to heat up your car it's only this certain kind with a catalytic converter or something like that i don't know maybe a catalytic <laughs> converter is in every car but long story short it does nothing to heat up your car interesting but yeah i agree the guy around the grill does, does bother me but i've definitely fallen victim to, to them the flipping the steak thing i just think that's total total bull i don't i don't agree with it at all you're betting on that you're putting all your chips with that steak into the middle being like, it's not ready to flip. And what, you flip it too late and it's burnt? 
or you flip it too soon and you're like, oh my god, I can't go back now? Like, that's ridiculous. Everybody's got a hill to die on. I usually have a different hill that I'm willing to die on about once every fiscal quarter. But it is funny yeah. that specifically to be your hill to die on. Yeah. I know. I would, I would also say you have probably more than one hill per quarter that you die on. It looks like Appalachia out there. Yeah, Just a lot rolling of mountains. Rolling mountains of hills I'm willing to die on. I think it was Kenji actually, Kenji Lopez-Alt, who did that study because he disproves a lot of stuff where it's like flipping the steak doesn't really matter how many times you flip it. It's not going to do anything to the moisture. He also did one thing that I really like that I do live by. I would say this is one of my smaller hikes I'd go on up these hills. (laughs) But letting your steak sit with salt on it for at least an hour up to 24 hours. There's no difference between one hour and 24 hours. But as long as you salt your steak an hour before, it's going to break down some of that muscle fiber. And I have noticed the difference Like when I've tried Mm. to cook a steak just... Right out of the gate, freshly salted, does not get nearly as tender. Mm, that I, that makes sense to me. One of those guys around the grill tails is a marinade. Make sure you marinate this for four hours, 24 hours, yada, yada. Apparently, most marinades do nothing. Really? That's what I heard from some secondhand knowledge on a YouTube video that I watched three years ago. <laughs> so super accurate today. <laughs> super accurate. Do you remember why they said it didn't matter? Because apparently if you were marinating like chicken or beef, even if it's an acidic marinade, it does little to tenderize the meat. And what happens as soon as you put that on the pan, all of that marinade burns off. So Mm. there's this whole school of thought that is like, hey, you can just marinate after it gets off the grill. And I think that that's basically in some sense what a chimichurri sauces it's a marinade that you put on after it's off the grill you don't marinate something at least from any recipe that i've made in chimichurri overnight yeah yeah that's true so you're kind of placing marinade in a separate category to brining are you like throwing those together no brining is 100 percent the truth okay cool making sure but brining you're covering something in salt well you have a liquid brine as well yeah, but you're covering it in salty water. Yeah, because it's dissolved. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that tends to... I'm right. I don't like having to agree with you, but I, I will on this one. I think brining penetrates the tissue more. Wow, this is just really the fake news cooking podcast today. Because <laughs> I do not know the science, but I'm just going to make this claim. I think the thing that with brining is you brine typically for a lot longer. Because I know that you can brine a turkey... For like three days before you cook it. That's probably mm-hmm. what I'll do for Thanksgiving, actually, is try the three-day turkey brine. Yeah, I can just – I can tell Ethan's probably just got his head in his hands right now. Listening oh to God, us just bumble, us. bumble through this shit. Are you, are you going to do a turkey for Thanksgiving? Oh, I'm doing a turkey, baby. I don't think we'll do one. Really? What are you going to do instead? You know, my roommates and I, most of us don't go home for thanksgiving or anything so we're uh, the four of us together this happened i think seven years ago we just threw together a thanksgiving meal really last minute so turkey was just out of the question we were all working we couldn't manage baking a turkey and uh so we did like a tri a tri-tip steak 
And then since then, we have just made different types of red meat, essentially. Like last year, we did a two huge ribeyes and then lamb as well. And then we just do all the Thanksgiving sides. Lamb is such a bold move. What kind of lamb did you do? Like a rack of lamb? Yeah, two or three small racks of lamb. That is something I've never touched. Oh, it was so good. It was one of the best things I've ever had. I, I, I love turkey. Everyone can calm down. I, I like steak and lamb more than turkey. I probably haven't cooked a turkey well enough or had one cooked for me well enough or as well as it could have been cooked. I've never had a fried turkey, which I've always really wanted to do. But uh, yeah, there's just something funny just about us. We're going to do all of our favorite things, which is every single Thanksgiving side, but then steak. So, I kind of love that, though. I mean... Turkey is good. I, I think it's partially nostalgic, and I love leftover turkey sandwiches, but mm. I got to say, sitting down with a plate, like, there are other things I would prefer besides turkey, but it's that nostalgia factor, and it's the sensory part of food where it affects everything. It takes you back to a certain time and place. You smell something. It brings you back to grandma's house. I like turkey for that sense. Is it my favorite protein to have for a dinner no this is my first year running the old thanksgiving from beginning to end we're doing thanksgiving here and i've always been in situations where it's like hey sam little kid like you can make the green bean casserole or the potatoes i've never been the captain of the ship i'm kind of excited actually that's awesome my we had thanksgiving at my house growing up with our extended family, both sides would come. I don't think my mom would have any problem with me saying this. She hated <laughs> I think she liked it for a while, but then it just got to the point where it was so overwhelming. She's a really good host. She doesn't like cooking very much, but she loves hosting. And, oh, my God, I could just so vividly see her in that kitchen, like, balancing all those dishes trying to get them in and out of the oven on time and all this shit yo especially if you have a big family how do you learn these things like on the fly you know if 20 people are coming to your house holy shit that's why i'm excited for a test run yeah small no, thanksgiving you, this year no you'll crush it you guys you guys will both crush it well now aaron's baking the bread which are turning out phenomenal and i will correct mm -hmm. a story because I got a lot of flack for this at home. The bread is not mine. I do hardly any of the maintenance. I will come clean and say this right now. All I've done is I've shaped a single loaf and maybe set a time. <laughs> that was less than I even thought you did. I am not kidding. That is really all I've done and say, oh man, this tastes really good. That is amazing. Yeah. But the yeah, first you, had to, good you loaf, had to get that apology out. Had to get that apology out. The first good loaf that came out because the loaves from the first episode, eh, eh, you know, it's a learning process for her, not me. I'm just the critic and the, the eater. But she made this loaf. It had that beautiful oven spring, that beautiful texture on it. And I had made Sunday gravy two Sundays ago and we made meatball subs out of it. Best mm. meatball sandwich I've ever had. And did a pretty chaotic move of a slice of bread on the bottom, meatballs in the middle, parm, and then a slice on top and cut it in half. So not a hoagie roll, not canon, I guess, if we're talking about the Subway canon. Definitely not <laughs> canon there, but delicious.
I'm getting hungry again. I just Better ate. Fire I'm, up. I'm already. I'm already hungry. I want some soup dumplings more than anything now. Well, if you come down here, I will hook you up because I have oh, two sure. packs here waiting for you. That's forty soup dumplings waiting Ooh, for you right that's here. One, that, good. That's one sitting. And black vinegar, so you can do the thing where you do the julienne, julienne, ju- julienne ginger and put it in a black vinegar and make that little dipping sauce. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I didn't realize that was black vinegar. It's black vinegar sense. and that soy total sauce. Sense. Yeah. So good. I think that about does it for us, man. Yeah, I think so. Another good one. In the book. Another good one. I know. I think maybe one more one with the two of us, and then we are going to have the guest that we've been promising. I swear to God, please oh, we've been like promising and subscribe. Someone? I promised it once on the last episode, but not really. Okay. Yeah, I think I think this is good. We both only had one apology. Uh, I only doxed like one or two people. We only slandered like what, like one to two people? I guess that does it for us. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And until next time, keep feasting, everyone.